verses, and I'll stop. I won't read all of it. But Matthew chapter 5, beginning with verse 1, reads as follows. It says, And seeing the multitude, he went up to the mountain. And when he was set, his disciples came unto him. And he opened his mouth, and he taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when men shall revile you and persecute you, and shall say all manner of evil against you, falsely for my sake. And I'll stop there again. It could be easy to continue reading. It's hard to kind of know where to stop. If you are flipping ahead, you can see that this goes on for quite a few chapters and there's a lot to cover there. But I want to go back and I want to focus on verse 3 and kind of just spend some time looking at this today. Now, again, as you hopefully know, Jesus is anything but typical. He does not uh, do things the way that we would expect. That is the way of the Lord, the way of God. Uh, our thoughts are not His, and His are higher than ours. And so He does things in untraditional ways that we wouldn't expect, such as sending the Savior of the world to take on the form of a baby, only to die, be buried, and be resurrected three days later. This is not how we would have planned anything, but thankfully God knows so much better. And so you can imagine Jesus Christ as he begins, and he has, was very likely a large group of people uh, gathered together. There's lots of ways you could think about how to begin a sermon. You could think about opening with some type of encouraging word. You could think about opening in some type of clear warning. You could think about proclaiming, in fact, who he is, that he is the very son of God. And he certainly does that later on. There's all the different ways that we as humans might think about how to open a sermon, if you will. But I tell you, what we probably wouldn't think about is opening, blessed are the poor in spirit. Seems kind of counterintuitive, doesn't it? What are we talking about here? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. These beatitudes or these uh, seven or eight things that go through here are kind of things that are in paradox and set against what we would expect to hear. And they're set up for we see there's a blessing uh, that comes and it's kind of opposite the rest of the sentence there. So we'll dig into this. Uh, when we look at this word blessed, there's a couple different ways to say blessed or blessed in the Greek. And this is one in particular, and it's important the way that it's said. So another common way to say the word blessed, and I can't pronounce it in Greek, so you just have to trust me, and I'm going to trust the person who wrote this down. <laughs> um, the idea here is that there's an external blessing. We get those a variety of different ways. God will bless us from the outside. That's not what this word means. We see this in different ways later on in the book of Matthew. Uh, near the end, Matthew 25, it says, and, 20, and 34, it says, Then shall the king say unto them on his right hand, Come, ye blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundations of the world. So this idea that at the end of time, when we go and those of us who know him enter into a kingdom, we'll be blessed externally. God will give us a blessing. Does that make sense? It's not something that is inside of us. It's some way that God blesses us. You might think about it in a similar way, maybe around Christmas when you want to bless someone and give them something. It's, it's an external gift. This term, blessing, here in Matthew 5 and 3 
has with it an internal concept. It's something that comes from the inside out. And we might say it's actually happiness. Happiness. In fact, some translations will say happy are the poor. And even this has a very interesting idea with it. What does it mean to be happy? Where does this come from? Something within. It also expresses an idea of permanent happiness. Not something that flees or passes or goes away, but something that's always inside of us. So let me just stop after the first word and ask you, who wants to be happy? You can raise your hand. Who wants to be happy? And the rest of y'all are just scared to raise your hand. (laughs) Is this not the state of our lives? I mean, think about almost everything that we do is what? An effort to be happy, right? Most of us go to work to get money to be happy, right? Most of us do a lot of things we don't really want to do to try and be happy. Some of those things are good, and some of those things are probably not so good. But if we think about it, the entire focus of almost everything that we do in life, and I think society as a whole, is an attempt to be happy. I get wrapped up in this just as easy as the next person. There's been multiple times, even over the last few years, that I've just thought, I'm just not happy. Have I ever had that thought? We've probably had that thought a lot. Probably more than we care to admit. Sometimes, even when good things happen, we just say we're just not happy. You been there? Okay. I'm going to make sure I'm not just alone in this feeling. I see a lot of head shakes. It's very easy for us to not be content and not be happy. And I think God knows that. And I think this verse actually answers that question. The world is looking for ways to be happy. The problem is the world looks in all the wrong places and occasionally will join in with the world and do the same thing. Let's talk about some of the ways the world tries to be happy. Well, it lusts after things. It wants things. One of the other ways the world tries to be happy is through gluttony or laziness. Just don't want to do anything. Maybe the world tries to be happy by greed, getting everything you can and piling it up to you, whether that's material goods or money or whatever it is. One of the ways the world tries to be happy, this may seem kind of opposite of what I'm getting ready to say, but, uh, but being uh, wrath or angry all the time, putting other people down to try and raise yourself up. The world tries to be happy by envying what other people have and then going out and taking it. Pride seems to be a real issue among us, doesn't it? Pride is something that came at the very beginning. We see that with Adam and Eve wanting to be like God. We see pride to be a very serious problem among us even today. What about lying? We lie all the time to try and get what we want, to try and be happy. We stir up conflict among our families, among our coworkers, among our friends, among our church sometimes. And sometimes we are selfish. And so understand what I'm saying is we all have this innate desire inside of us to be happy. And to be honest, that means some kind of different things for all of us if we think about it contextually. And we do all manner of things, anything we can in life to try to be happy, to try and fill that gap that's inside of us. And sometimes even I hope, again, I'm not speaking out of turn. It's amazing sometimes when we can get good things and still be unhappy. Ever been there? You ever been angry at yourself because you're not happy about something good that happened? Uh, Sounds complicated, but I have. (laughs) Let alone the times I don't get what I think I want, or the times I don't get what I think I deserve. It's very, very easy for me to be unhappy. The world is constantly, and even we are constantly seeking 
this. We try to be happy. We want to be happy. And so we do all kinds of things to fill that gap. Some of those things, as I listed, are really bad. You know, I want to just for a second point out, sometimes we do things that on the outside are good to try and be happy. I want to read just real quick. Jesus gives a message in Revelation chapter 3 to the church of Laodicea, and it reads as follows. And unto the angel of the church of Laodicea write, These things saith the Lord, Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know thy works, and thou art neither hot nor cold. I would that you were hot or cold. So then because thou art lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing, and knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. You see, we must remember that the most important thing we can have in life that leads to true happiness is not the material possessions. This church was wealthy physically. It had everything it possibly could want. And it even put on a good face and a good name and a good image. But God knows the intents and desires of our hearts. God knows us better than we do. God could look at the inside of this church and say, I don't think so. You're actually not doing what you're supposed to be doing. Brothers and sisters, we can put on a false front all we want to. We can come to church. We can act like we're happy. We can be encouraging to other people when we don't feel encouraged ourselves. We can act happy when we're not. We can do all these things, but God really knows deep down inside the state of our heart and the state of our happiness. And so we can put on the false front. We can do all the good, quote-unquote, Christian things and use that as a crutch. But the reality is you're neither hot nor cold, and that's not acceptable. I played with this for many years of my life when I was growing up. I did all the things I was supposed to. I started a Bible study when I was in high school. I'd go early, like at 6 o'clock every, every Thursday, I think, or maybe it was every day. Um, it was every day. Thursdays was FCA. Anyway, every day we'd go and have a Bible study, and five or six people would show up. And I did all the things that I thought I was supposed to do. I didn't actually meet God until later when he changed my life. And that's what truly gave me happiness. That's what truly set me on the right path. And so now you can maybe see we're only one word in. (laughs) Blessed. Are you blessed today? Are you blessed today? Are you happy? So let's break this apart a little bit more. Blessed are the poor in Spirit. So what are we talking about here? We're not talking about poor as in physically poor. We're not saying blessed are you if you have no money. We're not saying if you go and give away everything that you own that you'll automatically be happy. We're not saying that those who are the destitute, those who are we're collecting items for for the church to give away, we're not saying because you're poor that you're going to be happy. What we're saying is blessed are the poor in spirit. Poor means to be absent of something. You don't have what it is that you need. It means to be in poverty. But here we are talking about a spiritual sense, not a physical sense. It's not a question of how much money you have in the bank. It's how spiritual you are. It's how well you know the Lord. It's how much you love God and are known by Him and to know Him. And so here's a real question. How rich are you in the Lord? How poor are you? In the Lord. Now, you may be saying to me, but Ben, this sounds backwards to be poor in the spirit. Well, here's what we're talking about. To be poor in the spirit really means that you have a poverty 
of something. To be poor in the spirit means you're not depending upon yourself, but on God. And this is the real uh, crux of the passage here that we're talking about. It means to be happy, we need to be poor in spirit. What does it mean to be poor in spirit? It means that we're no longer depending upon ourselves to be happy, but upon God. We fill our lives with all these things I just said, trying to make ourselves happy. And what we don't do is take a step back and say, God, what do you want in my life? How can I give in to what it is that you want? How can I make sure that I have nothing of my own, but only do what it is that you want me to do? If we want to be truly happy, we will remove all the things in our lives that we think we're dependent on and give them over to God and let him be the one who fills us, to let him be the one who guides us. We must understand that we are the receivers of what God wants to give us, not the givers. It's very, very common in our society today to somehow think we can earn our way into heaven or to earn our way to be accepted by God. And that's just not the case. Nothing I can do is going to earn my way into heaven. Nothing that I can give God is going to get me there. It's not a matter at the end of our lives where we have this kind of tally mark and see, well, how many good things did you do? How many bad things do you do? And you earn your way into heaven. That is completely not what is taught in the scripture whatsoever. And to say otherwise is incorrect. What does that mean? It means you have to come to God poor in your own spirit, not bringing your own works with you. That means you must come to him recognizing that you don't have anything worth saving. Yet seeking the God who can. You must have a humble opinion of yourselves. You must be willing to be saved only by the grace and mercy of God and nothing that you can do. You see, we fill our lives so often with the external trying to make ourselves full, trying to make ourselves happy. And we bring all of this baggage, if you will, before God. But the key is to set all that aside. And for some of us, that's really hard. Some of us struggle for a long time to set aside the ways we're trying to make ourselves happy, to set aside our own pride, to set aside our own laziness, to set aside our lying, to set aside our striving to get things, to set aside our envy and wrath and selfishness and the conflict, to set aside everything that we've been trying to make ourselves happy with and realize when we finally get to that point that we're willing to set it all aside, the only way to be blessed, the only way to truly be happy internally is to allow God to be the one who saves you and takes all the rest of that away. But we want to bring it all and have both, and it doesn't work that way if we're going to be happy spiritually happy we must make sure that we are void of our earthly desires we have to seek after him and him only or we will not inherit the kingdom of heaven so i think this is talking about salvation I think this is telling us that there's a point in our lives that we come before him and we'll be blessed, internally happy. Why? Because the spirit of God comes and lives within us. When we finally come before God, we remove all the things that we think we've done. We don't go before God and say, look how good I am. Please accept me. We don't go before God and make deals and say, well, if you do this, I'll do this. We simply go before an almighty God and we say, Lord, I am nothing to you. I've been searching for pleasure and happiness in all the wrong ways my entire life. And the only thing I can do is give up to you and say, Lord, help me. 
And until we've reached that point, we've not actually gotten poor in spirit, and we will certainly not inherit the kingdom of heaven. If we want to be happy, and we also want to be happy, right? Now, we also said that. It's okay. If we want to be happy, then we have to seek God internally. We have to follow his commands. We have to do what he wants us to do. But to come to him, we have to remove all the other things we've been dependent on in our lives. I think sometimes this is why it's so challenging and so hard for someone who is older to come to know the Lord. And I mean salvation. Because we've had a lifetime of experiences of depending on our own happiness. Making and building our own happiness out of things instead of seeking God. And sometimes, why occasionally it's easier for someone who's a little bit younger, they don't have a lifetime of bad habits of trying to depend upon themselves and seek out what the world offers for happiness. We must come before God, poor in spirit, devoid, humble, waiting for Him to fill us, or we cannot inherit the kingdom of heaven. Now, it says, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Again, we slow down a little bit and say, it doesn't say theirs will be the kingdom of heaven. It says is. That's past, present, future. Is the kingdom of heaven. What this means is that in July of 2000, I'm sorry, 1999, I think it was, when I was saved, the kingdom of heaven was then and now. Yes, someday I'll get to physically enter it, but I have already received the reward in that I am guaranteed to go there. Why? Again, not because of my anything that I did, but because I finally bowed myself to the ground. I gave up to God. I became poor in spirit, void of everything. And I said, God, everything I've been trying in my life, it wasn't enough. And the only thing I know to do is to look to you. And God said, here I am. And entered my life and changed me. And at that moment... I inherited the kingdom of heaven. And whenever he calls me to experience it, it's already mine. He's already won the victory. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And so let me just reiterate it. We all want to be happy. We really do. And that's okay. As long as it comes from the right source. How can you be happy? You can be happy when you're physically poor. You can be happy when you're in poor health. You can be happy when you hate your job. You can be happy when you're absolutely sick to death of school, for all of you all who are. You can be happy when your family and friends betray you. You can be happy at all times. Why? Because God is the source of happiness. And if we would get ourselves out of the way, what he has given us internally, if we know him, will well up and help us to be happy in him. For we will inherit the kingdom of God. To be poor in spirit means that we are to be dependent on what it is that he wants us to do. So how is this done? I said spiritual poverty. We must repent of all the things we've tried before. We have to repent of all the things we've done before. That's both the bad things that we've done, 
Certainly we are convicted. The scriptures clearly teach that God will work in us to convict us of our sin. What does that mean? What that means is we realize that we are not living to the standards that he has set. What that means is, think back to what I showed the children this morning. That means there is a truth, there is a line that points true north, so to speak, tells us exactly what is right. The scripture of God reveals to us and the Holy Spirit reveals to us how we should live and what it will do when we are listening to it. And even when we don't want to, hopefully sometimes, it will tell us you are not doing what is right. And that's sin. That's separation from God. That's missing the mark of what he told us to do. That is both doing things actively that we know God told us not to do, and it's also failing to do the things that he told us to do. And the only standard of this is the scriptures and what the Holy Spirit lays on our heart. And so we must be convicted. We must realize that we have missed the entire point. I mentioned to you the day that I got saved. You know, the thing I remember bowing down to the ground and begging for God to save me and even stopping and thinking to myself, well, this seems silly. I've asked for this before. This has already happened. But then it hit me. I never really loved God. I knew all about him. Been in church since I was a kid had a key to the church, worked for the church, an internship in the church, and all these things for the church. I was there all the time. But you know what? I didn't really love God. I loved myself. I hadn't reached that poverty in spirit yet to say, God, it's all about you, and I've messed this up, but I've never really loved you the first time. That's what it's like to realize. That's what it's like to repent. And you know what? The second part of this is I was sad over it. I was broken over my sin. We don't teach this a lot. Again, well, I say we. It's not taught a lot in public anymore. This idea that if you're convicted of your sin, you are sorry or sad for it. Not sorry that you got caught. We've talked about this before. But sorry because you knew you did something wrong. You ever been sorry for what you've done? Again, not because you got caught. I think I gave the example before. We see young children who may be doing something they're not supposed to and I mean, little kids, you know, like two and three, and you walk in and say no, and they jump because they know they just got caught doing something. That's not what I'm talking about. We all experience that sometimes, don't we? Somebody catches us in a lie. Somebody catches us cheating on something or doing something we shouldn't, and we have this startle response. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about are you sad, sick to your very core, because you did something you shouldn't have done. Brothers and sisters, when God deals with you and he comes to you, you will be sad or sin sick in that way. You will feel bad for all the things that you have done for not loving him the way that you should. For whatever it is that he reveals to your life, you will feel the weight of the way you have been acting toward God. And that's when you have to repent. Genuinely. That's when you have to quit trying to make yourself happy with all the things the world wants. That's when you have to quit acting maybe like you're a Christian, quote unquote, like you're a good person. And you actually have to get humble and realize you have to have a poor spirit. You must be in poverty, realizing, God, there is nothing I can give you. I don't deserve to be saved. But I believe you love me. You have to have that 
soul hungering for him, that desire to know the righteousness, that desire to have the kingdom both now and forever. This is repeated all through scripture. Psalms 84 and 5 says, Blessed are those whose strength is in you, whose hearts are set on the pilgrimage. Let me address that for just a minute. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, talking about God, whose hearts are set on the pilgrimage. To be blessed, to be happy, are those of us whose hearts are set on him, who get our strength from God, not ourselves, not the own physical happiness that we can do, and are set on a pilgrimage. We are on a journey, and we don't belong here. Ever feel like you don't fit in? Good. I hope so. Because we, those of us who've been saved, do not belong here. We don't fit in and we're not supposed to be here. And no matter how hard we look, we will not find anything to truly make us happy because the only thing that will make us happy is God himself. That's why we don't fit in. That's why we're peculiar, the King James calls us, a peculiar people, a different people. We don't belong here. We belong in the kingdom of heaven that God has prepared for us. Blessed are those, happy are those whose strength is in him, whose hearts are set on the pilgrimage, the pilgrimage to him. We have no idea how long we have on this earth. Some of us will have much longer. Some of us won't. Some of us think we will have longer and will be suddenly surprised. Don't wait to start your journey. I've heard the testimonies, and you have too, of people who were saved later in life who came to know the Lord late and feel like they wasted the first part of their lives because they did. Don't wait. Don't put it off for another time. Don't think you have tomorrow because you don't know if you do. And those of us who have been saved, let us not return back to the elementary principles of this world is what the scripture says, back to the things I just talked about, back to the greed and the lust, back to the lying, back to pride. Psalm 32 and 1 says, A psalm of David, a masculine, Blessed is he whose transgressions is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Happy is he. Happy how? Happy internally. Happy how long? Happy forever. If you want to be happy today in the Lord, your sins must be forgiven. Now, that doesn't happen automatically. As it says, it happens when the Lord convicts you. It happens when you feel sorrow for your sin. It happens when you put your faith in Him and earnestly seek Him, ask Him to forgive you, and you continue to do that until the moment that He does, and that sadness and that sin has been removed from you, and you are then happy in the Lord because He has implanted His Holy Spirit inside you to guide you to live in you forevermore. Are you happy? Really, ask yourself. If you want to be happy, if you want to someday inherit the kingdom of God physically, and if you want to have it now, 
You must be poor in spirit. You must quit trying to earn your way in. You can't bargain. There's nothing you can trade for. The only way to truly be happy is to seek what God can give you internally that comes out of you like a spring eternally forever. And so you have an opportunity today to be obedient to that. I don't know what that means in your life. I can't look inside your heart. But God can and God does. God knows. He will put into your heart, I got to quit doing this. I have to start doing this. I have to seek forgiveness from this person. I have to quit trying to do it on my own. I don't know what he's telling you today, but whatever it is that he's telling you today, you are obligated because he is God. Let's not forget that to do it, to be obedient to what he tells you to do or what he tells you not to do. And if there is anyone here today who has never been obedient the very first time, if you've never been convicted of your sins and repented and felt the forgiveness that only he can give and had him plant that happiness inside of you that dwells up as a spring that never ends inside of you, then you must seek that out today. Can't wait till tomorrow. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day that we seek the Lord and we continue doing that until we are satisfied and he has forgiven us and we know that we know that we know quote the old preachers from ages past. Do you know? Are you happy? I don't mean physically. I don't mean happy with your station in life. I don't mean happy with your money. I don't mean happy with your job or your spouse, or your family or anything else. I mean, are you happy in the Lord? Because if you're not, this is a time to seek him. So let's have a hymn. A time to reflect, again, a time to be obedient to what he wants you to do. You're welcome to do that at your seat, although I will share with you there's something sometimes about making a move and coming down here to the, to the altar to lay it before the Lord, to tell him your heart, to share with him what you think you need, to listen so he can tell you what he knows that you need to do. And today is the day to do that. What number? 